0: The good, the bad, and the Boucherian. The good, the bad, and the
1: Boucherian.
0: And folks, you're listening to The Good, the Bad, and the Boucherian.
1: So uh, I've always wanted to be patho- a pathologist, you know, like as I just said, research diseases and everything. Um, and then there's also stuff that I'd like to do inside, like, if I could become a book editor, that would also be nice. And if I could just, like, be able to write books, you know, like, just different books, you know, um John Grisham?
0: Mm-hmm. I think, yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, he, he writes standalone books, sometimes he writes series. I think that that would be really fun, because I definitely want writing to be a thing for me. But I also want to be able to engage in the other stuff that I really want to, like, drive my life forward and that would be pathology you know
0: and even with that how old were you when you were doing all this research
1: uh i was around 10.
0: It's your boy Billy back at it with another episode. Hope you guys are keeping well, keeping safe, amidst the pandemic and things are going well on your side as they are on mine. And today my guest in studio is Stella Gitonga, a 12-year-old author, starting her new book series in the fantasy genre called The Portal in the Pantry. So I'm really excited to have my first interview with a book author and a 12-year-old. So this is gonna be interesting. Actually, you need to follow up you need to actually listen to the previous episode where her mother came on the podcast so you can understand when she talked about going to the states to give her children more opportunities that she otherwise really would have had here in Kenya so Taylor, hi, how are you I'm good How's it going
1: uh um, it's going well
0: how's how did you find the open school How's that?
1: Um yeah school just started up for us we had our orientation on Thursday and we had the uh first day of school which they call Scala Brevis on Friday
0: Mhm and how was that
1: It was good yeah uh we got to be introduced to the campus it, it's kind of big so you have to like learn how to navigate around it and also has like 6 years worth of students so it gets kind of hard to like uh find your way around Norris
0: which grade are you in at the moment?
1: Um, I'm in seventh grade.
0: So, are you excited about it? And um, are you enthusiastic about the year to come?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm definitely excited about it.
0: Hmm. What's exciting? What are you looking forward to?
1: Um, the things that I'm looking forward to the most i would have to say are um going to be like our introductions to our language classes and definitely some of the clubs that they offer like i'm planning on joining a chinese club maybe and um you know also my speech and debate class which has uh debate debate tournaments
0: mm-hmm. and why why do you choose chinese why chinese why not any other language
1: um, because I feel like uh, Chinese, it's just like, because considering the fact that on in later years, I'm planning on uh, joining Spanish I'm planning on learning Spanish. If I uh, do Chinese, you know, that'll be like a nice uh, dose of challenge, basically, because Spanish, it, it's relatively easy to learn. And I've already been learning Spanish for a while, you know, so I want to be fluent in that. But I also want to learn a bit of Chinese on the side, kind of
0: mm-hmm interesting and what about your speech and debate class are you why are you excited for that
1: um we're going to be having some upcoming tournaments so basically debate class at marist is for the first two weeks in seventh grade you learn basically the basics of debate how to debate how to form arguments that sort of thing and then the rest of it is pretty much just you practicing debating with other people in your class also the classes they're relatively small around like uh nine eight people nine would actually be the largest class i have nine people in my debate class and that's um and so then those kids they all go to tournaments together sometimes outside of school sometimes in school but online you know um and it's just a really fun experience you know to just kind of like meet people and also get the opportunity to um just debate to your heart's content really
0: so what about debating intrigues you a lot
1: Um, I like the fact that you're able to form your own arguments and research what you choose to research, because I just, I find the, I find conversation nice, you know, even though I I don't talk that much at school, but I do enjoy uh conversation, especially when it's in opposing arguments so that you can like, um, you can kind of understand the other person's viewpoint, but you can also sort of apply it to your own research. And I I just think that's really fun to do.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And now that you said you don't talk too much in school, would you say you're an introvert?
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. How come? <laughs> um, I usually don't spend a lot of time around people. You know, I'll like talk to my friends, I'll text them, but it's it's it gets pretty hard for me to like uh, put myself in new crowds that, yeah, I, I've been struggling with that the first couple of days, you know. Uh, I've talked to a grand total of one person. So uh, achievement, I guess. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) and what about now that you've you've been in many contests spelling bees um how do you navigate all those social because those are very social species with a high pressure environment so how do you navigate all that
1: usually uh I just close my eyes and focus on one specific thing because for a lot of the so um like you know how I was presenting for um I would present these like PowerPoint presentations of the book writing process and how it applies to like my book what I would do usually is I would have like something to hold in my hand that I could just kind of like squeeze if I was like feeling really stretched with stress which was the majority of the whole time so I would just like have a piece of paper or you know this little like cat hamburger thing that I have and just kind of like use that to just kind of use that to um basically like control my anxiety levels
0: so even as we record this do you feel anxious or is it um casual for you
1: um sort of ish but it's also like sort of ish but it's also like i um it's not me looking at a person directly which definitely does make it a whole lot easier because the fact that you can like see people watching you is something that definitely makes it a lot more stressful for me
0: but over the years, over the months now that you've been doing your tours, has it become easier?
1: It's become easier a little bit. It's definitely a thing that needs to improve with uh, practice. Not entirely sure if the anxiety is just gonna float up and you know go away. Like, um, but you know, it definitely it does get better over time-ish. Yeah.
0: So now I want you to tell me a bit about the book writing process. But before that, I want to ask you, even as you when did you start writing your first book and who has been your biggest inspiration even as you write books and when did you discover actually that you are interested in writing books and you'd love to actually write a book
1: so uh I'd always been a really adamant writer ever since I was around like five basically in kindergarten I remember that I used to really like you know writing like little stories for class they, they were usually for class yeah and then um it just kind of developed over time in like first grade and second second grade especially because I remember I had a teacher and her name was Miss Schwane and she really really liked um she had us writing narratives right so I just loved writing narratives about my cat Sylvester because I had just gotten him that year. So I would write stories upon stories and I used to introduce myself into poems Now I'd write poems about him. And my school did a thing called Reflections where you could like submit creative writing. So I tried that too. I would do stuff like the writing fair. Um, Yeah, it was just a lot of me trying out uh, different writing styles in the second grade mainly. So then when third grade rolled around, I remember that we had just taken some test. I think. And after we had taken it, um, she was saying we had free time to like do whatever we wanted. So I like pull up a Word document and I'm like, you know, what? I want to write something because I had already written stuff before. I really enjoyed reading. I really enjoyed reading fantasy books and fantasy novels. And I want to see if I can put my own like spin on that and if I could like make a cohesive story. So I start typing it. I type in the first paragraph and then I just kind of left it at that for a while. And then I come back around like three, five months later, I was just like cleaning out my files, right? Because it was the summer, it was either the summer of going from third grade to fourth grade or it was around March and I was just cleaning out my files and um, I find the document, right? I find the paragraph and I'm like, wait, no, this is kind of interesting. So then I decided I was going to try and expand upon that. So about every other day or so, I would write a couple of pages of it, you know, like making it longer over time so that eventually by around january of uh maybe 2020 i finished the first draft and it had 275 pages it wasn't formatted correctly there were a bunch of spelling mistakes and plot holes and everything because you know i wrote it so young but you know now i had a story and i was really proud of the fact that i had a story so uh that's that's how the basically the first draft of the portal of the pantry came to be pretty much
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. And even along this, how were you making sure that your story remains coherent? Because I, I was talking to a friend the other day and they're telling me how I used to think normally that a book would not take too long, just like how you'd write your compositions, you'd write them in one spin. But I realized with book writers, you take even years to write it. So how do you maintain the story coherently without even forgetting some of the ideas you had originally?
1: Yeah, so... Now that I'm older, and now that I've uh, realized how people usually write books and how you write books without forgetting stuff, I usually use um, usually write my ideas down in certain places, or you know, like write them into documents, so that I can just be able to remember stuff. So, when I was planning out the second book, which I'm currently working on, I used to write my stuff down into a brainstorm. I would just sit down. No music, no sound, no nothing. Just brainstorm for 10 minutes, get all my ideas for the second book onto paper, knowing what I wanted the story to continue with. And then that would be what I would have um, the really rough, rough outline for the book beat. So I would try to follow that as I continued on with the rough draft, which is what I'm doing right now. So yes, book writing can be really, really difficult because especially the first draft, because it's you're still making up the ideas in your head even if you're you're coming from even if they're coming from your uh, brainstorm basically because when you're still like drafting them and still thinking about it you've got to think about the ways that you want to tell it and sometimes the ways that it comes out aren't the ways that you want it to and it's just really hard because it's a lot of you wanting to go back and edit your own work but the thing is you you just can't you can't go back and edit what you just did because if you do then that'll just hold up the entire process so it's much better you just get the first draft out there as one cohesive piece rather than try to edit every so now and then and then the book just will never get finished.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so when you're writing, is it something that you have to get in this mood and the zone to start writing? Or sometimes can you just be playing with your friends or doing something else and you're like, okay, light bulb, I have an idea. Let me go add this to my draft.
1: Um, so usually whenever I am writing, I find that I like to write the best at night or either in the early mornings when there's nobody around. But now that you know, like school is back, uh, I don't have that sort of time. So I'll probably use um, my school my school laptop to uh, you know just kind of like write in the libraries because my dad is also a teacher there. So I can use that free time after school, which is around a couple of hours, to you know just work on my first draft and just work on the the book in general.
0: And does it has and so now that you're writing your second book, do you think that the writing process has gotten easier or is it still the same hurdles you experienced at first?
1: Um, it's definitely still the same hurdles, you know, there's not as much time in between like certain paragraphs and pages, you know, but um, it's, it's still, it's, it's gotten a bit easier to manage, you know, since I've um, learned a bit more.
0: And would you say, would you call yourself a perfectionist? So when you're writing your books do you want it to be perfect or do you give yourself some grace and say okay it's fine this is the first draft then not have to be too perfect they will do a second draft and so on
1: yeah i'm definitely a perfectionist and i'm definitely really hypercritical of the things that i write and so because of that i'll write something i'll write dialogue and i'm like i really really don't like this dialogue but i can't go back and edit it because it still tells what the story needs it to tell so i just have to you know like move on you know and that can be really hard but it kind of gets easier over time you know
0: so how have you learned to deal with your you being very hypocritical of yourself
1: um so for the most part whenever i'm writing i just try to focus on the fact that i'm currently writing and just telling the story that i'm trying to tell i'm trying to turn off the perfectionist side of me so that i'm not constantly going back and just holding myself up when I could be just moving the story along because that's the whole point of the first draft I just want to move the story along so that's what I'm trying to do and that's what my perfectionist side is like not letting me do basically
0: and even with you you being hypocritical are you that way with other people's writing so when you're reading a book are you like okay this should have been done better or are you just hypocritical with yourself
1: oh I'm just hypercritical uh with myself with my own writing uh, whenever I write like essays for school, I always make sure that I look over them multiple times because I'm like, no, the sentence is good enough. The sentence is too long. I don't like the way this was said. There's definitely better phrasing for this, you know, that sort of thing. When it comes to other people's writing, no, uh, I don't have that sort of problem at all.
0: Really? How come?
1: Um, I don't genuinely know, actually. It's really interesting to me because I never mind people's writing. I like the way that it's different. And I like the way that some people make short shorter sentences and longer sentences, less description, more description. Like there's this really good book that I read for um, Maris for my classes. And it's called uh, The Midnight Library by Matt Hag, I think. Um, and I just really enjoyed the writing style. It's definitely not that of my own, you know, shorter sentences, more periods in between, you know, uh, dialogue that it's kind of bland, but it also helps to convey the tone of the story, which is genuinely just very gloomy and grey. And I think the writing did that absolutely perfectly.
0: And even when you just read your work, what do they normally say? Do they sometimes think that it can't have been such a young lady having to write all this?
1: um yeah people definitely think that people uh they're always asking me did your dad help you with it did your mom help you with it and I'm just like no um before I made it to the manuscript they didn't even know that I was writing a book so you know it was there was really like zero input for them it was really just me writing the story that I wanted to tell because I'm especially um protective of the things that I write so I don't really like it when people try to change the thing that i'm trying to do because it'll just switch up everything and i just want it to be the way that i want it to be because again this is the book that i'm trying to tell you know
0: mm-hmm. so with that how do you deal with your editors because i know sometimes editors can try change a lot of things
1: yeah so with editors I usually just go for Proofread, editors, proof, uh, proofread yeah, yeah, there. Proofread editors because they're the ones who look over your book for grammatical mistakes, um, punctuation errors, that sort of thing. They're not the ones who uh, look for plot holes and change up dialogue and change up the way characters act because when they do that, then you're making a completely different story entirely, just in the type of editor that you hired. So I remember that back when I was looking for an editor. I had really, really wanted a developmental editor. But then I realized that I had become my own developmental editor in the amount of times that I'd gone through the book. So there was no need in hiring another person with another view on the book to be the one to basically um, help me write my story. So I just decided I should just get a proofread editor so then the story can be told um, the way that I want it to be.
0: Mm-hmm. And were you are you happy with that decision, or do you feel like you should
1: have gotten the uh, developmental editor? I'm definitely much happier with the decision that I made, because the story feels authentically me and isn't influenced by any, you know, like, outside hands, so.
0: Mm-hmm. And even with your next books, are you planning to still take the same route? And if yeah. so, one day would you want to have your own publishing house?
1: um i think that that would be a pretty cool occupation actually because it means that i could you know like read over people's works and um you know be the person who's helping other uh, other authors who want to get their stories told out there and i just think that would be like really nice if i could make that sort of impact in just like people's lives so
0: mm-hmm. but as of now what would you want your occupation to be
1: um so, there's actually a lot of stuff that I've always wanted to be. Like, one for one thing, like the main job that I've always wanted to have since I was like eight is a pathologist, which, um, pathology means it comes from the word pathogens, which is like viruses, bacteria, fungi, that sort of thing. So, I want to be a pathologist and basically be the person who's like in the lab researching all these different types of pathogens, you know, like learning about them because I just think that diseases are just really cool to learn about because. Um, in the summer of 2020, I was really, really obsessed and really hyper-focused on learning about that sort of stuff. So I... Tell me more about that. (laughs) Oh, happily. Okay. So um, I actually like wrote up this whole document about all the diseases I learned about because it was around the time when COVID first kicked in, in Georgia. So, you know, schools were closed and I had a lot of free time on my hands. So I could just, you know, like research and research uh, diseases all day. And I just loved it. So basically, I remember that one of the first things that I had learned was that um, in, in China, I think in China in COVID during COVID times, uh, the way that it was transmitted between animals and then to humans was like these certain meat markets right where they would have the animals and the animals were stacked on top of each other in like open-ish cages like you know like the open bar cages so basically the um just like the fluids and excretions and just stuff from the animal on top would go to the animal on the bottom because that is how uh, covid would pass from the bats to more animals and then to the animals that people would eat so the people would eat the animals that are infected and then they would go on and get the infection so It comes from, I think it's called a horse bat. Maybe it's not a horse bat. I know it's some sort of bat um, and it's from China. It's not, um, I remember that I really, really thought that was fascinating. And then I looked into more of of, um, a bit of, you know, like coronavirus. Uh, I learned that it is a virus that has RNA, which is ribonucleic acid and not deoxyribonucleic acid which is dna because deoxy is the D. so it's rna and because it's rna that means that it only has one strand not two strands like normal dna would have so it has the normal strand and it has um these four uh what are they called i can't remember the name of them but they're like the building blocks you know like the things in the ladder that is like dna but there's a new one this time and so that's what rna is rna is really good especially um in viruses at mutating and so because it's really good at mutating that's the reason why covid was able to develop into like four three different strands over the past couple over the past like two years because of the fact that rna was its genetic base so it just has that sort of uh ability right so Mm -hmm. um uh, what else did I learn? I also learned a bit about some other diseases. I learned about Helicobacter pylori, which is a fact that I just can't seem to get out of my brain. So Helicobacter pylori is the bacteria that causes stomach bug. And basically, um, it has, like, the way that it's built, it's, like, it's kind of like, you know, those cattails that you find near, like, lakes and ponds and everything? hmm Yeah, so it's kind of built like a cattail. And it has, um like, these four strands at the back, which are kind of like tails. So basically when the Helicobacter pylori enters your system, it needs to find a way to get to your stomach lining because once it gets to your stomach lining, then it'll be able to spread toxins and it'll be able to just infect you, right? So the way, that it, the way that it gets through stomach acid is really, really cool because it finds ammonia in your system, ammonia being, um, if you didn't know this, ammonia is pretty high on the pH scale, which means that it's called a base or an alkaline. So because your stomach acid is relatively acidic around a two on the pH scale and ammonia is around like a 14, ammonia is in like stuff like bleach, you know, Um, because there's ammonia in your system, then the helicobacter pylori, it basically just hitches a ride on ammonia so that it can make its way through your stomach acid without being just absolutely burned to a crisp. So it makes its way to the stomach lining and then it spreads toxins. And then that's basically how you get a stomach bug. And I just think that fact is really cool because it just kind of shows how smart bacteria are. And I just think that's really fascinating. So if I could learn more about that, I think that would be absolutely awesome because I love learning about pathogens. Just the way that they like do things is just really fascinating, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so uh, I've always wanted to be a pathologist you know like as I just said research diseases and everything Um, and then there's also stuff that I'd like to do inside like if I could become a book editor that would also be nice and if I could just like be able to write books you know like just different books you know um, John Grisham Mm
0: -hmm. I think yeah Mm
1: -hmm. yeah he, he writes standalone books. Sometimes he writes series. I think that that would be really fun because I definitely want writing to be a thing for me, but I also want to be able to engage in the other stuff that I really want to like drive my life forward. And that would be pathology, you know?
0: Yeah. I was just yeah. thinking that if you were my teach, uh, my professor of biology, I'd get straight A's in my biology because of how well you are vast in that. And even with that, how old were you when you were doing all this research?
1: Uh, I was around 10.
0: No way. Taylor, tell us the truth. It's a safe space. Yeah, so,
1: okay. <laughs> um, so I know that I have it somewhere in my documents, I believe. Um. And it's like, I used to, how long was the first presentation? First presentation, it had around like 74 slides. And I would like research a disease, like for every new day, I would do around two diseases. So one day I'm like, I want to research um, meningitis and cerebrospinal fluid. So then I would do that. You know, I would spend like an hour or so learning about those. And then I would type it into the little document. And then I would keep it in my like mind archives, basically. And I would tell my mom about every new disease that I learned about every day when she was like making dinner. So.
0: Oh, nice. And so are are you taking biology as one of your classes this semester?
1: Um, so Marist doesn't offer biology classes to the seventh graders because the seventh graders and eighth graders are what they call the foundation classes, but you can start to take more, um, more diverse and advanced classes for, um, you know, like science and everything. And you could take like anatomy and physiology, you know, things like, uh, what else, uh, you can take AP chem, you know, AP bio, that sort of thing. You can um in around the 10th 11th 12th grade yeah mm-hmm.
0: and so even with all this i want to even ask you before i even come back to asking your questions on pathology first how much how many books do you read in a month
1: um usually i read around uh two three books in a month you know um, because aside, it's because if I'm including school books or if I'm not including school books, um, I just, you know, I like to set time aside to just, you know, read something, but I also like to be able to take my time when I'm reading something and not, hu- and not read like huge chunks and fail to understand what I'm actually like reading through. So, you know, I can also read some relatively big books. So those take a while, you know, sometimes the 600 page ones, they, they can take, they can take a chunk of my time so yeah
0: and who has been your biggest inspiration on in this whole journey
1: um if i have to choose any particular author i would think that um my biggest inspiration would be soman man i don't think i'm saying his name right but he wrote the school for good and evil series and i just really loved those books as a kid and they just opened my eyes to like all the possibilities of what writing can be and how you can really just write about anything and as long as you love the story that you're telling and as long as you can just tell it then you know there's no such you you couldn't really say there's any such thing as a bad story you know so Mm -hmm. i just found that his writing really um influenced the uh passion that i have for writing today
0: Mm -hmm. so would you say he's also your best writer
1: um yeah yeah he was also my best writer yeah
0: and uh, who who is one writer apart from him that you'd love to meet dead or alive
1: um if i another writer
0: hmm. you could even well. say future taylor taylor in 30 years old say taylor <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: um i think another future writer that i would let i think a writer that i would like to meet in real life would also be um Chris Colfer, because there were two specific series that I remember really loving in around the third, second grade, and um, The Land of Stories was one of them, so I really, really loved this book. I was constantly thinking about this book, constantly rereading the books, and I just thought that it was um, one of my favorite series, and it still is one of my favorite series, you know. I haven't gone back and reread the books, but I am planning on doing it, looking at them um, from, you know, like an older perspective. They definitely were some um, really thick children's books, you know, but uh, I definitely still love them and I still cherish them a lot, you know. So I would like to meet uh, the author of those books, Chris Colford.
0: Tell us a bit about The Portal in the Pantry, your current book that is here selling out on Amazon and on all platforms. Tell us about that book. Uh
1: The Portal in the Pantry, is a fantasy adventure novel that um, was published around earlier this year and it's about the story of two sisters Cassie and Katie adventuring into a new realm known as the magic realm so that they can save their third sister Avery so basically throughout the story they meet new people and they adventure through the world they learn about the magic system and they also learn about one of the main antagonists of the series, who you're not allowed to know the name of yet, who um, comes up as a, just a really, really bad person, you know, and how they connect to this past of this new realm and the way that, you know, just like everything works here. And it's just um, this place where this really, really bad antagonist person is. That's also happens to be where, the that also happens to be, The person that Avery is, uh, you know, like stuck with, basically, if that if that makes sense. So um, it's really just the fact that they have to, you know, find their sister, but they also have to deal with the fact that the magic realm is in jeopardy. And, you know, just uncovering the secrets of this place that seems relatively, you know, like sweet and nice. But, you know, they have to learn about how, how kind of horrible it is, you know.
0: Mm hmm. So what what are the biggest lessons? Or wait, let me not even ask you that because that's something for the listeners to go read and tell us what their thoughts are on that book. And are we expecting another book from you soon, Taylor?
1: Um, yeah, I'm hope if hopefully if all the writing goes well and I'm able to get the editing, you know, um the next book will come out around the same time as May of next year. You know. Mm
0: And even before you close, what would you tell someone who wants to enter the writing process, someone who wants to write a book, what is the one advice you'd give them?
1: Um, The thing that I would tell them is that, you know, um, there's no, I would, so personally, I would say that there is no such thing as a bad book. You know, you're allowed to be hypocritical and you're allowed to sometimes like, not really like you're writing like I do, but it's okay because, you know, the stories that you tell, they're still important, you know, and the books that you're trying to get out there, they're still important. So really, writing is just a process of not allowing yourself to give up. Because if you don't give up writing, then you'll find that you've made this entire novel. And then from there, you can just do whatever you want with it, because it is your creation. And it's the thing that you have made. So it's also really important, to you know just like genuinely be proud of yourself and the things that you wrote because just like understanding that yes i wrote this i wrote something i actually i can actually do this that that can really push you forward and that's genuinely what pushed me forward and what encouraged me to really just try and get this book out there and get it to the um places where it's it's gotten you know because like this genuinely is amazing. I didn't think that it would make it this far. You know, it was just like this little book that I wrote in the third grade and then I decided to edit it and I was like, whoa, this could actually be something. So, you know, just being able to realize what you're capable of is genuinely one of the things that keeps me going as a writer and hopefully will keep new writers going, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And are you overwhelmed with some of the responses you're getting or did you expect all the responses you're getting?
1: Um, I didn't expect all of these responses because being someone who is particularly um, critical of the things that they write, I didn't really think people would like it this much. But you know, they do, and I've gotten like reviews on Amazon, and the book set around uh, 150 sales, I believe, on Amazon. You know, it's able to be sold in a bunch of different places, and you know, it's just, it's just um really amazing and really crazy
0: and last question is Sylvester still alive
1: <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> Sylvester is still alive um he's actually five he's turning six next year you know uh tuxedo cats they live for a pretty long time so uh yeah he'll, he'll still be around you know he's my my uh buddy you know he just hangs out with me whenever I'm like watching tv in the mornings when I'm writing you know just all the time, he's just kind of sleeping there. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> he's okay. He's okay. <laughs>
0: and would you have, want to have another pet?
1: Um, I would maybe want another cat because uh I do really like cats, and you know, Sylvester's he, he's the only animal in the house, and I feel like he could use like a a cat buddy, you know. So maybe mm-hmm. like in the following year, I would really like to get another cat, but you know, I I don't know yet.
0: So. I let the listeners tweet us, us at the Busharian Pod. follow us at the good, the bad, and the Busharian on Instagram and tell us all the things they've loved about this episode to go on Amazon and purchase The Portal in the Pantry by Taylor Gitonga. Um, soon, you'll be seeing her on your screen. Soon, she'll be doing world tours and sending books all over the world. So, you guys, this is your chance to get to know Taylor before all this happens. Have a lovely week ahead, folks, and cheers.